0: Great. Good morning. My name is uh, Wes Calton. I am the campus minister for RUF at Kennesaw State. Uh, Children are a wonderful blessing. We teach threes and fours at our church. And so sometimes I wonder what Jesus meant, but nevertheless, they are a wonderful blessing. Uh, My wife and boys weren't able to be with me today. we have a three-and-a-half-year-old and a two-year-old, and, two and we're actually expecting our third, so that is a praise. Um, I would also give you a prayer request. Um, my wife and I recently found out that her, her father has cancer, um, that's just a few weeks ago. So uh, that's just something you can keep in your prayers if you would like to pray for us um, as we prepare for the school year, which will be here in just a few weeks. Um, I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, This is one of the things that I enjoy getting to do with my job, um, to go to the churches that support RUF and get to share God's Word, because that's what I do with students um, at Kennesaw State. One of the things that I'm privileged to do is to get up and and share from God's Word each semester. And this fall, we're going to be looking at relationships together um, with my students. And that may seem like a good thing to look at with college students, if you think about it for a moment. Um, going out kind of on their own, uh, friendships, dating, potentially marriage. And those are all good reasons to look at relationships. But even more than that, the reason I'm excited to look at relationships this fall is because of the importance of relationships to the gospel. Um, That relationships and our ability to love one another because of the way Jesus has loved us is so central to everything Jesus came to do. And as we turn our attention to John chapter 17 this morning... It's really the culmination of many chapters uh, of focus on loving one another and serving one another, starting with the Passover meal in chapter 13, in Jesus' humbling picture of washing his disciples' feet, the new commandment he gives to love one another, that, that to know God is to find life in, in Jesus. Um, to obey Jesus' commands, we must, in chapter 15, love one another as he loved that the world will hate you as the world has hated Jesus. And then finally, in chapter 16, that all that the Father has given to Jesus will be given to us through the Holy Spirit. And that even when Jesus is left alone by all those closest to him on the cross, the Father will not leave him. He assures his disciples in chapter 16. And so we come to chapter 17, and it's full of meaning for us as we think about relationships. Uh, I don't mind saying this, but I think if we had gold letter editions, you know, you've read letter editions of the Bible, if you had gold letter editions of the Bible for like the really special passages, uh, John chapter 17 would be one of them. Um, It's one of those rare moments in scripture where God speaks to God, and we have the chance to listen in. And so with that word, I would encourage you to give ear to God's word this morning as I read it. This is John chapter 17, starting in verse 1. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me i made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, as we continue to worship you this morning by giving ear to the reading and preaching of your word, we are humbled and amazed that you would Allow your people to listen in on such an intimate and holy conversation. Father, would you press this passage into our hearts? Would you use your word by the power of your spirit to transform your people? To make grace covenant into the church that you would have them be that you would be glorified through the members of this body. Father, would you strike us with awe and wonder at the love of the Trinity, at the love of the Father and the Son for one another. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you overhear an intimate conversation, and hopefully it's not too intimate, um, in those situations maybe we blush first, but oftentimes it's an opportunity, isn't it, to, hear, to really see what someone's relationship is like. Uh, maybe sometimes it's by mistake. You, you walk in, you're sitting somewhere, and you overhear a conversation, and perhaps you think to yourself, wow, those people really love each other. Other times... Maybe you think, wow, they sound like they can't stand each other. But whatever it is, oftentimes it's when we overhear a conversation, when we're we're allowed to hear two people speaking to each other, that we know so much about them. This is especially true and terrifying for me as a parent. I know that some of the most important things I say that my children will hear aren't the things I say to them, but the things I say to my wife and that she says to me. And I know my children are listening. They're they're asking good questions like, do mommy and daddy love each other? They tell me I should forgive people. Are they going to forgive each other? Um, And they should care about those things, right? They are quite literally dependent on that relationship more than anything else. We will feed them. We will clothe them. We will house them. We will take care of them. We will pick them up when they fall. And so they are desperately, at times, probably listening and thinking, Do mom and daddy love each other? And so there's wonderful things that I can say to my children. There's so many things they need to hear me say to my wife. And something similar is happening this morning as we come to John chapter 17. It's not that we are unimportant in this prayer. He prays for the benefit of the disciples that can hear him. And yet at the heart of this prayer is the father's relationship with the son, the son's relationship with the father. It's the relationship that matters most to you and I in Christ. It's the relationship that we are most dependent upon more than any other. And as we think about loving one another, as Jesus has told his disciples over and over again, that just as he has loved them, they shall love one another. I think there really could be no more important passage for us as it reveals to us the foundation for every relationship that we have in Christ. That there is no other foundation upon which we can seek to love one another In this relationship of perfect and eternal love between the Father and Son. And it's that relationship that brings us redemption. So how does does it do that? How does this relationship uh, ground us for all other relationships? I want to briefly encourage you this morning um, that this passage tells us who we are. And it also assures us whose we are. That those two truths are critical if we're to love one another as Christ has loved us. First, this passage shows us in many ways who we are. As we look at this prayer, what are some of the things that that jump out to us most? I hope that as we reflect on it, as we reflect on the Son speaking to the Father, we're overcome with the intimacy and love on display. That as Jesus turns to His Father to pray on behalf of His disciples, He is consumed with the reality of His relationship with the Father. He begins by addressing Him, Father, as He always does. And as we follow through the prayer, it's clear that His relationship with the Father is central to everything He's doing. In verse 1, the Father and Son are serving each other. The Father is concerned with the glory of His Son. The Son is concerned with the glory of His Father. In verse 2, we're told that the Father gave the Son authority. In verse 3, that God sent Jesus and that life is knowing them both. It's relational. It's, it's a knowledge, an intimacy that only Jesus can bring. In verse 4, Jesus says, I glorified you, the task that you gave me to do. And in verse 5, we're told the amazing truth, and this is key for us, that this is how things have always been. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, one of the most amazing things about this passage as we come to it is we're learning who God is and who he has always been. And as we see the love on display between the son and the father and the father and the son, this has always been true of God. So one of the things that's unique about Christianity, one of the things that's unique about the God of the Bible is that he is a God of love, and yet he's not dependent upon anyone else to show that love. He did did not need to create us to prove that he was a God of love because before the foundation of the world, the Father and the Son have lived in this beautiful harmony together. That it's a relationship of eternal love and existence. And that's so critical for us because this is the God in whose image you and I are made. One of the questions we should frequently be asking is, what in the world does it mean for me as a finite being to be created in the image of the eternal God? That's a profound question. And there's many places we could turn in God's word to try and answer that. And yet, if someone came up to you and asked you that question, I would suggest that perhaps John 17 is the best place to go for that. Because it's in John 17 that Jesus prays before His Father before He's to go to the cross, that He reveals much of His heart for the Father. That there's few places we could go to better understand who God is and what He's like than to go and listen to a conversation that has been going on before you or I existed. And so, we can look at John chapter 17 and say that you and I were created... For relationship. We were created to love one another as God has always loved within himself. That that there is no other basis, place from which we can start to begin to think about relationship without beginning where God is. Imagine someone, I know we like to say this, uh, imagine someone was actually raised by wolves. Not just a really misbehaving child who was raised by parents who maybe didn't discipline or their child was just crazy, but someone who was actually raised by wolves. Can you imagine what it would be like uh, if, if you were rescued from a wolf's den and then you were brought into a family and you were adopted? The, the questions you'd be asking, what, what does it mean to be human? Right. Once you taught the person language to teach them to say that, <laughs> that, that, that would be a question, right? Like, What does it mean for me to not be a wolf? And so this is a place where we can go and ask the question, what does it mean to be human without any of the other garbage of this world that would distort that question? Right, this is a place we can go and see how things were intended to be, the image, in, the image that we were created in. And yet I think that's, that's where we struggle, isn't it, when we start to think about the world around us. Right, as we think about, if you think about your relationships, it's probably pretty easy for you to think about the many challenges you've, you've faced. right? It's, it's great to say, okay, we're created for a relationship, but, but look at all the failure in my life. It's so hard for me to get along with my family. It's so easy for us to become despairing about who doesn't love us. It's so easy for us to be concerned with our own comfort and to look around and to see the many failed marriages the many fights and conflicts, the weekly news of violence, and say, are we really created for relationship? Wouldn't it just be better if we all kind of like hit under our rock, and quit talking to each other? But I think the question only becomes more important when we reflect on the brokenness of the world. What does it mean to be human given how broken things are? Uh, some of you may judge me for this. But I'll go ahead and say it anyways. For a time, I really enjoyed The Walking Dead TV show. If you don't know what that is, that's great. You don't need to know. It's really not that profound. It's <laughs> and it sounds silly to describe what it is. But it's a post-apocalyptic zombie survival TV series. You're like, oh, that's profound. Um, but, but one of the reasons I love the show is the majority of the world has deceased And there's a lot of flesh-eating zombies walking around. And these people who are still alive are thrust into the survival situation. And the main question the show is asking isn't how are these people going to survive. It's not. Most of the plot twists and the character conflict revolves around the question of what does it mean to be human? The world's falling apart. We're fighting for survival. What are we still going to do in this super scary world that makes us human? What makes us different from the mindless, flesh-eating zombies? Okay, a little bit of a silly example. And yet, God's Word does look at us and say that each of us is dead in sin apart from Christ. That each of us is consumed with a kingdom of self and self-service that strikes against the very image that we were created in. And so I think the stakes are only higher. What does it mean to be human? And part of the beauty of John chapter 17 is it shows us the image of the God that we were created by. And it shows us the relationship upon which we are to go to to answer that question. Um, Twice in the passage, in verse 11, actually three times, verse 11, verse 21, and verse 23, I think the heart of the prayer itself is revealed. As Jesus says repeatedly, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And so the hope for Jesus is that his people will see that because of the name they've been given by Jesus, that they too are now invited to partake of this relational unity. That they now have a path towards reconciliation and forgiveness and forgiveness. With God their Father, but not just that, that because of the restoration of their relationship with God the Father, their horizontal relationships, the people around them are to look different. That their relationship, their identity, is meant to be a reflective one. That we would pursue relationships because, in doing so, because of what Jesus has done, we are actually pointing to our God and Father, the unity of the Godhead. The beauty of the Trinity, the love that has existed before the foundation of the world that is now ours in Christ. Christian, this is who you are in Jesus. And the invitation of Jesus' prayer, I think, is is fairly clear for us that we are now to pursue one another because of the beauty and the love that the Father and Son have for each other. And before we go further into how redemption changes our relationships, I think we need to ask the question, are relationships this important in the church? Are relationships this important in our lives? That my fear for us is that we look out at the world and its brokenness and the, the many, many difficulties in relationships and let that define who we are. Um, and so many of us have given up on relationships. Many of us are scared to, to become intimate and close with other people, and so we don't really practice real discipleship We're scared to have hard conversations with those we're closest to. We don't want to speak difficult truths into one another's lives. And so we're we're, we're terrified. We have a fear of man that controls us. So what's so beautiful about this passage is it, it frees us from that in many ways. It shows us that no, all of these examples of brokenness and pain that you are familiar with, that is not how God intended it to be. That is not who you are in Jesus. That is not your identity. And so we can ask ourselves hard questions. Will we pursue people, whether it be in evangelism or discipleship or acts of mercy, and believe and really believe that this is what it means to be human, to be image bearers of the God who loves, to be image bearers of the God who has redeemed us so that we might be one even as he has eternally been one. I think this would mean that a lot of things in our lives would begin to look different. It could be as simple as how we view greeting people at church. I don't know about for y'all, especially with young kids, church is kind of like, it's the Lord's Day. It's also D-Day. Naps are disrupted. People just get angry and hungry. Uh, By the time the service is over, I know that the nursery workers are probably tired and they will start to bring imprecatory psalms upon me if I don't go pick my children up fast enough. And it's so easy then to just be consumed with, okay, how do we get home in one piece, don't lose any of the children in the parking lot? And yet, are we willing to sacrifice some comfort? Are we willing to make our families examples to the rest of the people around us that, that we really care about our neighbor? Are my children going to look at me, and this is hard for me to say, are they going to look at me 10 years from now and be like, man, dad was all about getting home in one piece. (laughs) That was the goal on Sundays. Or will it be mom and dad loved people? They worshiped the Lord and they were moved by the gospel to pursue people. I hope that's what's true of my family and of our churches. What about your time? How do you work your schedule, your vacation time, your time off? Is that time for you? Is that time for you to, to just focus on yourself? Or do you begin to view that time as an opportunity to serve others? I know these are hard questions that are uncomfortable. It's not bad for you to spend time with your family. That is part of your relational responsibility in Christ. And yet I fear that so often I fall into the lie of believing that my time is my own that relationships are an extracurricular activity to be pursued when everything else in life is going the way I would hope for it to be. But that's not who I am in Christ. That's not the identity of the God in whose image I've been created. And it's not just the image that I've been created in. It's also whose I am. The second thing that I want us to see this morning from this passage is that Jesus' prayer assures us of whose we are. It's interesting that as Jesus prays for the disciples, the most common way that he refers to them throughout this passage is as his possession and as his father's possession. Over and over again, he says, these are the ones you've given to me. In verse two, the father has given these to Jesus. In verse six, Jesus has manifested his name to those given him out of the world. In verse nine, he's praying for those that have been given to him. In verse 10, he declares that that both he and the Father have equal and full ownership of his people. They are mine, and they are yours. In verse 11, he prays that they would be kept in his Father's name, even as Jesus, in verse 12, has kept them in his name. He prays that they would be kept from the evil one, in verse 15, and set apart as Jesus has been set apart. In verse 17, verse 19, Jesus is set apart for the Lord so they can be too. In verse 24, He's praying for those whom he's been given. And so throughout the prayer, you can almost, can you imagine the disciples listening in to Jesus? We're his. Like we are his. Jesus is talking to his father and the father has given us to him and he's praying that we would remain as his There is such a beautiful, strong sense of ownership that no one can take anyone from the Father's hand. And Jesus assures us of that even as he prays for his people. And I think it's key that we see not just who we are, but whose we are, because that that really shapes how we view our purpose in life. Um... So you know now that I have young children, which means a large chunk of my life is understood through Pixar movies. Um, Pixar movies are a, a way forward for me. And one of the greatest that will never be knocked off its pedestal is Toy Story. And one of the things that's cool about Toy Story is Buzz Lightyear is a space ranger toy who believes delusionally that he's actually a space ranger. And so for most of the movie, Buzz is trying to escape. He's trying to repair his spaceship. He's trying to get away. And it's not really till the end, and after a brief stint of depression, that he embraces the truth of who he is and whose he is. Right, That it's actually a beautiful thing that he's a toy, and that he has a purpose of seeing his owner delight in him, and he has his name written on his foot. Andy. And the beautiful thing about Jesus' prayer this morning is it doesn't just say, this is what you were created to do. Now go and do it. Good luck. But he he says, look at the bottom of your foot. My name is written. You're mine. You're mine. You were made to delight in me. You were made to put your trust and your hope in the Father and in the Son and in our perfect relationship. And that's such good news for us because I think one of the temptations for us as we think about relationships is to try and make relationships our savior. I think many people in the world are doing that. Some people give up on relationships. Other people say, yes, relationships are everything. This is my identity. And I'm going to live and die by the approval of those around me. I'm going to live and die by the approval of my spouse. I'm going to live and die by the approval of my boss. I'm going to live and die by the number of friends that I have. And you see, Jesus' possession of us frees us from that because our value, our worth, our dignity, our purpose aren't tied up in our ability to accomplish these things relationally. That doesn't make me the fathers. Instead, I am the fathers, and I am the sons in Christ. And so... It gives me freedom to admit mommy and daddy will fight. And we should forgive each other each time. And at times we don't forgive each other the way we should. That, that I can be let down by my friends. That I can be, have a sense of betrayal for my boss and yet still try and love and serve that boss. Jesus frees us to pursue relationships because we are his And so his relationship with the Father is the foundation for all other relationships. I hope you sense the the freedom that that gives us, the value and the worth and the dignity that this lends to every relationship that you'll ever be in. It means we should have the freedom to take risks, risks to say things to each other, to pursue each other, that we don't have to bow to southern hospitality and cordiality and only say nice things to each other. We can be honest about the pain and the suffering that we're feeling because none of that can change the fact that we in Christ are his possession. We do not have to look to fallen man for the approval and love that only God can offer us. So that's good news for us this morning. And just my final point as we conclude our time together then is to see how radically then this necessarily answers the question of why we are. Right? When, we, when we understand who we are and whose we are, it necessarily leads us into the purpose of our existence. And it's, it's following our Savior. Notice that Jesus in this prayer is consumed with the glory of his Father And one of the more startling realities of that is not just that Jesus is glorifying the Father and that the Father is glorifying Jesus, but that He will also be glorified through us. That as His people understand who they are and whose they are, that they too will pursue each other in a way that glorifies God. And a oneness that reflects the oneness of the Trinity. And as I say that, I hope that even as the burden of finding others' approval is lifted, that we feel the healthy and beautiful weight of glory. Because so often I think we're tempted to believe that so much of what we do in relationships doesn't matter. Small talk is tedious, uh, it can get boring, there's awkwardness. I'm horrible with names. I'm sorry, I forgot your name again. And yet all of that matters. You see how, God, it means that God cares about your ordinary day-to-day conversations, if this is true. That that small talk really isn't that small of a thing. This is so helpful for me as I'll be spending about a month having the same conversation over and over again with new students (laughs) to be reminded that this matters, that, that how I love and serve others is a reflection of my Father's love because I'm His I was created in His image, and I'm being recreated in that image. And so are you. Amen.